Hello, and welcome to our weekly message. In today's message, Pastor Myron begins a new fall sermon series called Greater Than. This week's message is titled Eyes on Jesus, from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. All right, friends, I'm excited to be launching a new teaching series with you this morning that will run, God willing, right into the month of November, a verse-by-verse teaching series through the book of Colossians. Now, you and I blink on average about 17 times a minute. Each blink takes about 0.25 seconds. So what? Well, think of it this way. If your summer vacation, let's say you drove from Calgary to Vancouver, and let's say the drive took you about 11 hours. Blinking every 17 seconds for 0.25 seconds means that you drove 50 kilometers with your eyes closed. It's easy in life to be eyes close to some things that really matter. We don't want to be about that, obviously, in our journey. And here at Harvest, we want to be eyes wide open when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is greater than everything and is able to meet us at our every point of need. And so we're beginning today a new teaching series from Colossians called Greater Than. Jesus is greater than everything. In your Bible or on your device, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verses 1 to 8. Our Lord Jesus is greater than, and he is worthy of our full trust and our worship. And he is able to meet our every need. At harvest, we say the Lord Jesus is our Savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming King. Now, if you've got your finger in Colossians chapter 1, the first eight verses, here's a little background to this letter. About the year AD 62, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the local church faith community, the believers living in the Roman city of Colossae. That's in modern-day western Turkey. Because Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome... It's known as a prison epistle. And why did Paul write the letter that he did under the Spirit's inspiration to the church at Colossae? Paul wrote this letter to proclaim Christ's awesome supremacy over everything and his absolute sufficiency to meet the needs of of everyone. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And at Harvest, we want to be eyes on Jesus and owning that truth that's in the scriptures about the Lord Jesus and living it out more and more, experiencing more and more of who Jesus is to us and who we are in him. And so, for example, reflecting that would be our church mission statement, which says, we will become fully devoted followers of Christ as we believe passionately in Christ, belong intentionally to the church, and bless generously our community. Then we have four ministry values. And the first of four ministry values is devotion to Jesus. And I've already talked a little bit about EKG, exponential kingdom growth. That's our vision and strategy. For sharing the hope and love of Christ through a ministry of spiritual multiplication right here in North Central Calgary and around the world. It's followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, joining Jesus on mission to make disciples who in turn will make disciples. Yes, at harvest. We want to be all about the Lord Jesus Christ 
And that's surely the focus of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Now, when we confess our sin and turn from our sin and turn in faith to the Lord Jesus, believing that he died and rose for us, and trusting in him as our only Savior and Lord. And then as we seek the Lord Jesus in our daily lives, there are some huge, huge implications from God by his grace for every such follower of Jesus. And this morning from these first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1, we want to look at four specific enormous implications of being a follower of Jesus by faith. And here's the first. When we know Jesus by faith, we reside in Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul notes in the opening portion of this letter that the people to whom he wrote it, the followers of Jesus in that city, they were in Colossae, and they were also in Christ. By virtue of the fact that they had trusted in the Lord Jesus and through God's grace, the believers in Colossae were dynamically, vitally connected to the Lord Jesus. They were in Christ. Now picture a 200-year-old church, the kind with the steeple and bells. And this particular church had a big celebration upcoming, but then calamity struck. The bell ringer was going to be out of town. Well, that would never work for their celebration. So the church administrator put an ad out for a bell ringer and fortunately was able to find one. Well, the bell ringer showed up for his first day of work and a little orientation, getting ready for the big celebration. And the administrator uh, led the new bell ringer up the stairs to where the bell was inside the steeple. But when they arrived on the landing, the new bell ringer stumbled and he fell face first right into the biggest bell. Bong! Dazed by striking the bell. The new bell ringer kind of stumbled backwards. And oh no, he actually broke through the railing around the landing and fell to the floor below. The administrator was shocked and quickly ran down there. But fortunately, the bell ringer, though he was rattled, he seemed to be okay. The administrator nevertheless called 911 and the ambulance arrived. And the first thing the paramedic did, he asked the administrator, do you know the fellow's name? And the administrator said, no, I don't remember his name, but his face sure rings a bell. <laughs> Top tier dad joke, right? <laughs> Friends, if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, do you remember who you are? And who your fellow followers of Jesus are, remember that by God's grace you are where? You are in Christ. Skip ahead to verse 16. For in him, that's Christ Jesus our Lord, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In a word, our Lord Jesus is awesome. Amen? 
And if you've trusted in him by faith, then you are in Christ Jesus. You are in that Savior. And I want to suggest to you that every single moment of every day of our lives, by God's grace, that makes a huge difference. We reside in Christ. Here's the second implication from the text. For us who are followers of Jesus by faith and been transformed by God's amazing grace. Friends, we rest in grace. As followers of Jesus by faith, we rest in grace. Look at the last part of verse 2. Paul writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Focus on that word grace. It speaks of God's undeserved his unmerited favor that is poured lavishly over our lives as his gift to us when we simply choose to receive it by faith in Jesus. Followers of Christ at Colossae were recipients of the generous grace of God. Now, who of you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, uh-oh, we got some bedhead going here. This is a bad hair day right now. I need to fix that. It happens. Unless your hair is kind of like mine, then it happens less. But bedhead happens. Did you know there's a syndrome? This is for real. I was reading about this this week. It's called uncombable hair syndrome. As the result of a genetic mutation, people with Uncombable hair syndrome, UHS, their hair is triangular instead of circular, go figure. And what it means is their hair sticks straight out and no amount of work is going to tame that. Think Boris Johnson times 10. Now, for you and for me, we look into the mirror, we see our hair, we say, okay, I can fix that, I can do something about that. What if when we looked into the mirror... Instead of just a superficial look of who we are, it enabled us to peer into our souls. And if we were able to see inside of us, we would see that our souls are unkempt, untidy. Something is wrong there. And that something that's wrong is sin. In fact, every one of us, we have a spiritual mutation in our lives. We're fallen sinners. We have a sin nature. We suffer from a moral curvature of the soul, if you will. And that fallen sinful nature naturally predisposes us towards rebellion against God, not doing it his way, and I'm going to do it my way. Not only that, we actually then live out this nature, and we do sin. We do things we know we shouldn't do. We miss the opportunity to do the right things that we know that we should have done. The Bible calls that sin, and sin is serious implications. It causes us to miss the sin in our lives, God's very best for us, and to face death and judgment. Worse yet, unlike tidying up your bedhead, there is nothing that any one of us can do in and of ourselves to deal with our sin problem. But Jesus can, and Jesus did. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, stepped out of glory and into this world in the incarnation, living the perfect life that we could never live, and then willingly for us, he went to the cross of Calvary and he gave his life for us to pay for our sins. 
And so that through his sacrifice we might be forgiven that all of our guilt, shame, and condemnation would be totally removed. And that by his grace to everyone who chooses in simple, sincere faith to receive Christ into their lives. As followers of Jesus, we get to rest in God's grace. I mean, it's his grace to us in Christ Jesus that brought us into the family of God. That has made us daughters and sons of God. But that's not all. As followers of Jesus then, who have been transformed by the grace of God each and every day. As we seek the Lord Jesus, we get to live in the sustaining strength and wisdom of God's unmerited favor to us in Christ Jesus. That's the grace of God which strengthens us and enables us and empowers us through each day. And when we know Jesus by faith, this is one of the amazing implications of being a daughter or a son of the Most High God. We get to rest in grace. Here's a third implication. Friends, as followers of Jesus by faith, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. As Paul wrote this letter... He says, we've heard of your faith, your passion for the Lord Jesus. Colossian believers, your eyes on Christ. And we have heard about the amazing love that you share for one another. Sisters and brothers of Christ in the body of Christ. And we know that together in the body of Christ, you live every day, even in an uncertain world, with the certain hope of the glory of heaven in Christ Jesus that our Savior is preparing for all those who love and trust in him. Now, friends, people cannot live without hope. Intuitively, we know that this life is not all there is. King Solomon puts it this way. God's put eternity in the heart of every person. Intuitively, we know that. And people look for a hope beyond this life. In that regard is the science of cryonics. Have you heard of cryonics? Here's the way it works, or at least in theory. Upon death, the deceased person is immediately frozen at negative 196 degrees Celsius. And then they're stored. I've got a picture here. You that picture, Chike? This is a facility in Scottsdale, Arizona called Alcor. The frozen individuals placed in the stainless steel tube, here's the hope. That at some point, health science will discover a cure to whatever it was that took their life. At such time then, the frozen person is thawed out, the cure is applied, and voila, you're back. There are 198 people in that facility that have paid up to 200,000 bucks for that procedure. Simon Cowell, Paris Hilton, they've already signed up for the deep freeze. It speaks to people's inner hope for an acknowledgement of something 
beyond my mortality, I would suggest to you that the deep freeze thing is a profoundly misguided and false hope. There's false hope. There's I hope so. Then there's what Paul talks about in these verses. He says what? Look again at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. That word hope there literally means expectation. Paul was talking about something that the believers in Colossae could take to the bank. This was not a false hope or a hope so. This was an expectant hope. And the expectant hope for the follower of Jesus is what? We've got no guarantees for tomorrow. But if by God's grace you're residing in Christ and resting in his grace, then what's for sure is the moment that the believer draws his or her last breath, their heart beats for the final time, they are instantly, as God's word is true, translated into the conscious presence of Christ Jesus in heaven, unless Christ comes first in the interim, and then we would be caught up to him alive and translated in that moment into eternal bodies like Christ's own resurrection body. But unless Jesus comes first, every one of us will taste and experience physical death. No exceptions. But for the believer in Christ, at that moment, we're translated in the presence of Christ in heaven, the conscious presence of Jesus in heaven, awaiting the glorious resurrection morning at the soon and certain return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a world marked by unbelievable uncertainty, knowing the Lord Jesus by faith and rejoicing in the hope of being with Christ forever one day in heaven, that is a huge implication for every one of us who knows Jesus, and it fills our hearts with hope. There's one more truth I want you to see in these verses, and it's this. When we know Jesus by faith, we receive the truth. We receive the truth. We live in a world marked by shifting sands. But in Christ Jesus, we receive the truth, the rock solid, the unchanging truth. Come back to verse 5. Paul writes of the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, which is a real place, and about which you have already heard in the, hear this phrase now, true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. Focus first on that phrase, the true message of the gospel. The assertion of Scripture is that there is absolute truth. There is absolute truth that is relevant for all people at any time in every culture. This is the declaration of Scripture. The idea of absolute truth in our culture is a thing that is openly questioned and at points railed against. The predominant view of a postmodern culture in which we live would be more like this. Matters of right and wrong evolve. They change. They progress. And what's true for me isn't necessarily true for you. That's the world in which we live. But here's the irony of it. That philosophical take on truth is by no means a new thing. 
2,000 years ago, a career politician, a Roman governor by the name of Pontius Pilate, asked our Lord Jesus the question, what is truth? Now, our Lord Jesus, in his earthly ministry, had the audacity to claim that ultimate and absolute truth was reflected in who he was. And so in John 14, verse 6, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus embodies truth. And in his word, Jesus reflects that which is truth. When we, by faith, receive the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose to set us free from our sins and to restore us to relationship with God, when we receive this truth by faith into our lives and faith in Jesus, we're transformed. That truth changes us. But that's not all. Our Lord then in mercy goes to work in our lives to lay a foundation of truth. The unchanging truth of his word. That means, friends, that we in a world that's shifting and marking by, marked by shifting sands, we have a solid foundation. We have a rock We've received the truth, the truth of Jesus that's embodied in Christ. And as we engage the scriptures, he's planting his truth in our hearts. This is so crucial. Friends, truth is not established by majority vote or by personal whim or by some statement of culture. Truth has already been established by Almighty God in his word. Amen? And we stand on it. And when we know Jesus by faith, well, that truth has changed us. Not only that, oh, man, in a world where things are in flux, we're on solid ground. The unchanging truth of God's word. Not only that, having been changed by this truth, as Paul notes, near the end of our passage, we get to join Jesus on mission to share the same life-transforming truth with those that we have relationships with, family and friends who are at a different point in their journey. He cites the example of Epaphras. Epaphras was kind of an ordinary guy. He was an apostle. He was not a seminary grad. He was an ordinary guy, except when it comes to followers of Jesus by faith, there's no such thing as ordinary, right? Because we're in Christ. That was Epaphras. He's a lay leader, went to Colossae, started telling the truth that Jesus died and rose to set people free. People responded to the message as the Spirit of God convicted them and pointed them to Jesus, and a church was birthed. It's just a reminder to us that the truth was it changed us. We have the high calling, the privileged calling. We get to join Jesus on mission to show his love through simple, selfless acts of service to others. And then, as the Lord Jesus by his spirit gives opportunity, we get to share this love. The truth of the good news of Christ with others. As followers of Jesus stand on the truth and share the truth, make no mistake, eternity will record the impact of a life so lived. The late Argentinian evangelist Luis Palau, he once said, one encounter with Jesus Christ is enough to change you 
instantly, forever. Yes, it is, because Jesus is greater than. And when we know Jesus by faith, we reside in Christ. We rest in grace. We rejoice in our eternal hope. And we receive and rely and stand upon his unchanging truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our weekly message. We get to join Jesus on mission to serve others by showing the love of Jesus. We get to share with them the good news that Jesus died and rose to save them. That message with the power of the Spirit, this is EKG, Exponential Kingdom Growth. Showing and sharing the love of Christ and journeying with family and friends closer to Christ. When believers rely on Jesus and his truth and live it and share it, eternity will record the impact. If you'd like us to partner with you in praying for your family and friends who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, or maybe you would like to learn more about how you can accept Jesus as your Savior, please email help at hhachurch.com. That's help, H-E-L-P, at H for Harvest, H for Hills, A for Alliance, church, C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. And we'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you experience all that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Now these words from 1 Timothy 1.17. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal King, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. May God bless you as you go into the remainder of your day to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus.